All right, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening to this. This is a special episode of Legacy Matters in partnership with company I founded, which is a new venture of ours. Um, we are bringing together collaborators in different fields to uh, just people who are doing things, people who are making things or doing things in our community to uh, get them in a room together to have conversations and kind of cross-pollinate ideas. So take a listen and see what you think. Great. All right. Hi. Well, welcome everybody. Thanks. I guess I'm. I guess I'm the podcaster here. On, You're I'm the used pro. to having Sam and Jim. Uh, company I founded event. It is where Copperwing Distillery in St. Louis Park in Minnesota. Our very first kind of pilot event. It is the 13th of October. So welcome everybody. Myself and Ben. Hello, Ben. Hello. How are you doing? Thank. I'm good. Good. How are you doing? I'm, you know, hanging in there. Uh, I'm so, a little nervous because you're the pro. You've been doing oh, this a while. Oh, yeah, and that's I have me not. giggle. So we have two guests with us this evening, and we're doing kind of a roundtable with founders and uh, talking about company I founded with the event. So Claire Top is with us. Hi. Lawyer. Extraordinaire. <laughs> so tell us just a titch about you. I'm Claire Top. I've been at Dorsey and Whitney 28 years, uh, and even though I'm a lawyer, I like to think I'm creative. Yes, great. Love it. Kelsey? Hi, my name is Kelsey Terry, and I'm the founder of Spectrum QA, and I own a software testing company that allows people to leverage their superpower of autism as an unfair advantage when it comes to testing web and mobile applications. That, that's uh, amazing, awesome. yeah, right? That's awesome. How do we top this, Ben? I, we don't, so we just make them talk. <laughs> I'm going to ask, I'm going to be just, as the woman here, I'm going to ask how, pose this question to both of you. You know there's three women here and one man. Okay. Yeah, I know. You're still, you know. To, to ask being a woman and kind of whether or not you're starting your own company or kind of forging your, your way within a company, how... How do you use that, not as a leverage, but uh, kind of position yourself by being aware that you're a woman? So this is Claire. Um, well, that's a really interesting question because law tends to be dominated by men. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been a shift after in, in the last 10 years or so that women have um, been able to um, kind of come up into power um, more than they had previously. Um, I'm lucky to be at a firm that actually really values diversity. Um, and I think for me, um, it's all about trying to figure out your comfortable way of connecting with people. Um, sometimes, uh, some people like to be at big events and parties. Um, I don't, I'm a one-on-one -on -one person. Mm -hmm. And so I think you have to kind of be true to who you are and authentic. So it's a mm -hmm. lot about being authentic and figuring out how you best connect with people. That's how I think business development works best for me at least. Okay. Okay. Well, then to spiff off of that, I would say that many of the networking events that exist in tech are, I would, are you a little bro-y? And so <laughs> what I try to do is I try to come at those situations from a, how can I help you? instead of just pushing business cards out and, and shaking hands and moving on. And so I try to take a more collaborative approach and and I think that that's worked quite well over the span of my two years of pursuing Spectrum QA. I find one of the things I'm I find interesting about Spectrum QA is like so and you probably get this too Claire, the you want people you're not selling the fact that it is people on autism. They're not that's not why they're hiring you. They're how do you sell it so that because you, if you turn something that has connection to doing the right thing, some people think, oh, I'll just do the right thing, and that's why they're asking me to do this. But you're saying, 
here's a company that does great work mm -hmm. and it also happens to do the right thing or like how, how do you sell that without selling it so the way I try to deliver that value is I talk about how we're the best in the business when it comes to manual testing period end of story and right now unemployment's very low and so they're looking to scale their teams or solve those problems so what I do is I lead with, we just have a killer team, and then as a really happy asterisk at the end of the sentence, by the way, the team's got autism, and that's our unfair advantage. And sometimes that comes up with questions of, okay, well, how do you manage that? What does that look like? Um, but often, we are able to mitigate that risk or that challenge, that um, pushback by saying, basically, we're, we're off-site and you don't have to worry about that. You get to leverage the fullness of our brains. Claire, I have a question for you as a nonprofit lawyer because I think this is kind of interesting as well. Where when I when I when when we work with nonprofits, there's sometimes uh, a feeling that pragmatism or uh, ruthlessness in order to move something forward is the enemy. That if you're you know you really should be if you're a nonprofit, you should really not worry about that kind of thing. And so the the law and connected to nonprofit seems like a really interesting connection to me because you do have to get to, you know you have to move these people. Uh, and groups forward and often be pragmatic and yet hold on to their ideals. So how do you how do you do that? So, you know, I teach a, a law class at the University of Minnesota Law School called Nonprofit Law. Um, and I always ask my question of my students in the first class about the myths of nonprofits. And I always ask two things. First of all, can um, a nonprofit make a profit, right? A lot of people think a nonprofit means you can't make a profit. Yeah. It's actually not true. In fact, you need to make a profit, which is the point that no money, no mission, right? So um, one of the really, uh, the challenges of working with nonprofits is getting them to realize that actually you have to function like a business. You have to have a business mentality, um, but in, instead of, unlike a for-profit where you're benefiting the owners and um, the, the shareholders of it, uh, you're actually, your audience is the public and the community, and it's giving back to the community. Um, so your driver is actually the public that you're serving, but you still have to serve it in a way where you make enough money to, to reinvest that in the work product that you're, uh, the, the, the goal that you're producing and the mission that you have. So if you don't have money, no mission. So yeah. um, you need to, you, you absolutely need to do that. I will say that um, I've seen a big shift um, with the nonprofit organizations who have moved from the charitable model of holding out your hand for donations, and they still do that, and of course people should give donations for sure, but they're realizing they have to become more self-sufficient, and they really need to figure out a way to diversify their revenue stream, and so nonprofits have to be thinking like that in this day and age. They won't succeed otherwise. I, I wonder, is that is that generational at all? So as I come from a computer software background, and I've noticed that Gen X, my generation, wants to get stuff for free and then will eventually pay for it. And the generations below me, like millennials, will be like, no, no, I totally don't mind paying for something. You just don't get to get something from me first. Mm -hmm. And so like, uh, I've worked at companies where it's like, no, we got to open this up and make it free. And it's like, no, millennials love paying for stuff. They're just <laughs> never going to pay for something that's not worth it to them. <laughs> and so I wonder if that's a, a generational a shift, shift yeah. data-driven. We have to be reasonable. And I, I don't know. I, I'm not trying. I don't want to. I don't want to only crap on the generations below me, so I always thought that that was an interesting change. Mm -hmm. 
I, I actually think it's that in combination with just the tightening of resources. Mm. And I think when you have less money and you have a goal and a mission that you're passionate about, you have to figure out a creative way to connect to the public that's interested in receiving those benefits and also figure out a way to get the revenue in so you can do it. So I think it's probably some of the Gen X stuff, but I actually think it's a combination of that along with the fact that you, you got to have the money to do the mission. Um, and yeah. so you, I think you have to be practical to be successful. So who do you guys find the hardest to convince to allow you to do what you do best? Good question. I would say technical founders. Hey. <laughs> uh, I don't mean to throw shade at you, Ben. <laughs> but um, when I encounter highly technical founders that have a background in engineering, I find that they tend to say, well, we'll just automate that. We'll just have our developers take care of that. They know enough. They should be doing this as a best practice. And those that are not as technical, they say, oh, yeah, of course, I wouldn't have a student check their own work on, their, you know, on a test. And so that would be who I have the hardest challenge convincing. And how do you talk to them? How do I talk to them? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I use I leverage that metaphor of you wouldn't have a student check their own test scores because they're inclined to say, oh, that's fine. We don't have to worry about this security flaw. Um, or because we have to get to MVP. We promised investors. We promised the public, whatever that milestone might be. And you want that neutral third party that's going to say, here are your risks. This is what you need to consider. And sometimes that conversation goes beneficially and sometimes not so much. Claire, what do you dread? Actually, um, this is going to sound funny based on what I just said, but um, there is a culture around nonprofits that think that lawyers in particular should provide services on a pro bono basis. Oh, pro bono, basis. yeah, of course. Oh. Um, there's sort of just a belief, and it's true, they're doing amazing things. It's also true that lawyers, I was just telling somebody else tonight, that lawyers have a code of ethics. Nobody believes that, but they do. Um, and that code of ethics actually is aspirational for the idea that you should be giving back to your community and doing pro bono work. And nonprofits are often and the beneficiary of that, um, and justly so. But when it's your profession, you know, I've been doing nonprofit tax exemption law, working with philanthropists and charitable institutions for 28 years, and I can't tell you how often there is a presumption that as the lawyer, you'll do it for free. They'll pay the software yeah, engineers, yeah. they'll sure. pay the architects, yeah. they'll pay mm -hmm. you know, the business person, but the lawyer will do it for free. So one of, uh, one of the challenges is to sort of get them to realize that there's value of paying for a lawyer to do it. And then you have to price it accordingly, right? Because there are limited resources. So I think, I think it's been trying to transition. I mean, I do myself about 200 hours of pro bono work a year, wow. which, is a, which is a lot. Yeah. Um, but, but if everybody had their way within Dorsey, I'd be doing it 1,000 hours a year right. um, because everybody and their mother serves on some board and sure. wants some help from me. So that's hard. And that's one of those services that ends up being in the administrative fee side, right? Like the, the dreaded costs for a nonprofit, right? Mm -hmm. Like they, they can't. They can't, they can't pretend it's trying to mission. limit the expense side. Yeah, yeah. That margin that everyone attacks. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I have kind of a closing question here about our podcast, Legacy Matters, is about life and legacy. And mm -hmm. we talked to Kelsey and I talked a little bit about that. Uh, how do you the Legacy Matters podcast? Uh, the Legacy Matters podcast. Oh, no, not the, sorry, Legacy Matters po <laughs> podcast.com. Listen to Sarah, not <laughs> what me. <do> you <laughs> So for both of you, what do you what would you like to leave as your legacy? I know it's a very heavy question. 
Oh, I but what love would you like questions. to leave in part beyond like obviously a family and all those wonderful things but what would you like to leave on this earth so someone else can look upon you and say huh I'm inspired well I actually have to say I don't know that it's one thing I think it's um, I mean I, I'll just say it I do a ton of work for an organization called NPH or Noise Pocanos Hermanos which cares orphaned and abandoned children in Central and South America and the Caribbean that's where my pro bono work comes and I am hopeful that the work that I do with them and and helping taking care of those kids and providing the legal framework around that is my legacy you know so it's associated with particular work that I do and and I think that's probably true just in terms of thinking about the nonprofit I work whether on that I do on a pro bono basis whether I do on a pro bono basis or a paying basis I I hope that the 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 clients are themselves impactful and so Mm -hmm. I live kind of through the work they do but that's the one that has a special place in my heart. Great. My goal yeah, is to top f- that, Kelsey. Oh, <laughs> game on. Um, so my goal is twofold: to help people themselves that are on the autism spectrum see their glitch, their air quote glitch, because you can't see my hands doing the air quote. Yeah, bugger um, a glitch as a gift, and so autism really could be an unfair advantage. And I want businesses to also see that. That would be the second part of we partnered with Spectrum. They crushed it, and yes, like autism could be a good thing. And I want to reshift that narrative of oh no Charlie's got autism to haha Charlie he's got autism this is going to be great well that's wonderful you topped yeah. it yeah <laughs> <laughs> no, that was thank you awesome. Claire Kelsey and Ben thank you thanks guys thank you thanks for listening to the first section of our show we will start with our second group of panelists right away yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what we need is drinks in our hands. All right, uh, we are starting, you guys. So I have got. Uh, let's see. This is the second installment here in our company. I founded uh, inaugural event, and and just as as you said just a minute ago, my phone ringing. Right, mine's ringing in my pocket. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Perfect. <laughs> well, that so just reminds shut me. Off. I yep. Move my phone Very out of here. Distracting. Yeah. Uh, yep. We've got. Uh, so our event tonight is about. Uh, people doing things in our community, whether that's finding yourself in the company of people who are doing similar things to you, that's sort of one of the plays on the words there, or uh, actually founding companies. And on that note, we've got uh, Ben is with, Ben Bakken. Hi there, thank you. And uh, we've got Jesse O'Neill Oyn, and you are a founder at... I was the founder of Samsung Smart Things. Smart Things, Smart things before Samsung came along. Oh yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> Could it well, easily have been Amazon Smart Things? Right, right. Yes. Whoever I, I, uh, I have a nonprofit, and I kind of joke that you know, if you want me to call it Pete's Camp, I'll call it Pete's Camp. But you got to put a lot of money in. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. I get it. Well, and we did come up with Smart Things, not Samsung. They want they they. They had to throw. Ter- they there, were, there were some terrible names we had to beat down to keep Smart Things. <laughs> well, it's a good name. Uh, and then we've got Luke Erickson, who is an artist in our community, photographic. Primarily, yes, I'm a, uh, primarily a photographer. I, t- I also teach teach art history too, so that's kind of like the spectrum. Okay. Yep, and that's in uh, here in Minneapolis. I know. I mean, you're like Jim's would-be brother-in-law. Yeah, we've right? we've known. Yeah, dating my dating my wife's sister, and uh, I've known him as an artist since uh, 2000. So, yeah, so for quite a long time. It kind of it kind of leads me to the question of what's wrong with the Brennan sisters that they find themselves with artists, but <laughs> no, no, I don't know. There might, there, I don't know if I don't know if they really uh, wanted that to be the case, but but it's certainly 
the way it is now. Well, I think highly of both of you. So I, I think well, thank you. And those the brand new girls. Right, yeah. they're good, good, yeah. good women. Yeah, they're and was there any, at any moment, did you say, you're dating who? <laughs> I did, actually. Um, I didn't ever set them up. So oh. it, it was something that happened without my consent, really. But it, it's oh. turned out really, really well. I didn't want to be involved. Right? <laughs> no, I, of course not. Stay out of that, right? <laughs> so uh, we're here to talk about uh, kind of community building and the things that... that not just make our community unique, but but what we're doing as individuals to found things in in Minnesota, or to you know to create companies, to find yourself in the right company, to make sure that the company that you're with is doing things that you're proud of and appreciative of, and so that's what we're here for. So. Uh, ben, I'm going to turn it over to you to yeah. ask a couple of questions. Sure. Uh, Jesse, I know that you, yeah, Smart Things started as a Kickstarter. Correct. How did you end up, why did you end up, why did you, why did you do it that way? We felt it was the only possible way we could. <laughs> um, well, it, it was, was, it it was, was something pr- that was coming along at the time and it was interesting to us and um, we knew that creating hardware would in- take a lot of investment and we, um, rather than try to you know, go and hustle that all together ourselves. Kickstarter was a very um, interesting community and an interesting angle for us to take for this kind of leading edge sort of product. And, I mean, and it was a million dollar Kickstarter. It was within yeah. months, right? Weeks. I don't remember the exact timeline. We were all uh, at the state fair when it launched, and it immediately sort of took off, and it was a very, very exciting day. Um, and it did go over a million. I don't remember the final number off the top of my head, but at the time, it was the best technology Kickstarter um, to, to date. Wow. Yeah, and, and I mean, so it was amazingly successful as a Kickstarter. Do you, do you think that was a lot about, well, how much about that was about smart things and how much about Kickstarter? It was a mix, I think, of all of all things. Um, some of it was that um, Kickstarter was new, and there were there was a lot of traffic and a lot of people looking at stuff. And Kickstarter also hadn't implemented some of their stricter rules, so there was a lot of people getting screwed over, uh, which we did not do. Um, oh yeah, that's right. Um, you know, then on this at the same time, um, IoT is something. You know, I first got interested in it in like the late '90s, um, and had this one where I could control a lamp, but I had to pull out a long metal antenna off of this module, and then had a weird remote that would allow me to turn a lamp on and off. So like. It's something that had been bubbling, though, and, and at least the geeks and nerds all thought this was coming, it's coming, it's coming. And so there was a little of that. Like, everyone wanted it. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, I think we ran a good campaign. We had good people manning yeah. it every day, interacting with the, all the commenters. There was right. thousands and thousands of comments. And we had two to three to four people every day just going out there and interacting. And that, so... For those who don't know, uh, IoT is Internet of Things. Smart Things was Thanks. is a home automation um, smart device. Uh, X10 on steroids, uh, having uh, you know. X10 and, was the antenna thing. Yeah, yeah, of course it was. <laughs> um, and Smart Things started in 2012, 14. I'm really anyway, with dates. they were bought by Samsung. I, I worked there, so this I have a little bit of background knowledge. So I worked there for a couple of years, and they were three years into Samsung, and before that it was two years. So something about five or yep. six years. Um, so, and I know that you had the Smart Things community for a long time. So I'm assuming that the Kickstarter, you know, IoT home automation folks were a lot 
Yes. They were the way they were the whole time. They they like each other. They like sharing stuff. They build their own communities. Yeah. I mean, I think even from the kick, so I, I guarantee you that there are people from that Kickstarter community that was on Facebook or, or the Kickstarter comments yeah. that then transitioned into the, the Smart Things community. And from very early on, because we were trying to build this platform that would enable not not just like big manufacturers to hook up to the internet of things but also hackers to use Arduino or other technology to do this um, so some of those people from very early on moved straight over to the smart things community where they all shared code and recipes and ways of setting smart things up and joked about how to get the wife acceptance factor up but then there were a lot of women as well and so then they came up with some new term that I don't remember but yeah. It's much more 2019 and great <laughs> and supportive. So, yeah. Well, so your 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 industry, you're doing something that uh, we out who don't do that stuff, right? I I, I always kind of joke like my my wife, I believe she truly believes that there's some magic in the <laughs> cell phone that allows like like how can I make it do this? Like, well, it's. You know, someone actually coded that into there. You have to ask it to do it, and then you have to fill out this part. Like, no, but but it does these other things just magically. Yeah. Like, and that's sort of the Internet of Things, right? Is your your there? It's this interconnectivity. For sure, for yep. sure. Do remember though that software engineers think that they're the artists of engineering. Um, <laughs> ben will back me up here, right? There, oh, totally. There's a real creative outlet to it, and because software is so malleable, um, you can do almost literally anything with software. Um, we always tend to see, or at least I for sure do, and I know certain other people do as well, see a real creativity in creating software. So for me, it's oh, like yeah. kind of there's sure. some parallels with the, the artists and, well, and whatnot of the world. Well, because I was gonna say that I, I sort of feel the same way. I'm an amateur photographer, and I've I've taken some nice photos in my life, and I've taken a, a lot more crappy photos. That happens to everybody. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, he's but probably was... taken even more. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, right? Like, with right. The, the sheer volume. It, it is volume, right? I mean, in the old days when you used to shoot a roll of film, and the fil- film roll had 36 exposures, you know, kind of the ideas you'd you'd be hoping for one beautiful image, you know, to per print roll. per roll. I mean, and, 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 and one a roll is pretty good. I mean, I was just out in Los Angeles uh, creating this this latest portfolio or body of work that I put together, and it's it's a portfolio of 53 images in the end, and I probably shot, um, you know, 1,200, 1,200 pictures, so it's 1,200 to get 50, and I think that's probably a much better ratio than... than it's usually it's a better ratio than I usually get so again it's that thing and it's partially because you end up finding that you end up shooting around something maybe more than you might have if you're using film Uh, because you're using digital so then you so you can you can and there's that thing but again you know it's also that, that you have a tendency to make the same point it's like the same joke does that make sense? So you keep yeah. telling the same joke over and over, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and it might be a good joke, and it might look slightly different, but if it's the same joke when you're trying to put together a portfolio that like speaks about something more broadly, you don't want 50, you know, out of the 53, you don't want 16 of them being the same joke. So you're looking for some sort of diversity of, of images and points or social commentary you're trying to make, if that makes sense? Yeah, so, yeah, that's one of the questions. I mean, one of the things software engineers don't do is edit well, right? It would be like, if we were in your industry, it would be like, I took 1,200 pictures, you're going to get 1,200 pictures. <laughs> yes. Right. are horrible. Yeah, and it, it, it's hard to give something up, especially, and it's one of yeah. those things that, you know, if you, if you really wanted it to work very badly or you want to keep it in the edit, 
sometimes it's not good enough to stay in the edit even though you'd like for it to have been does that make sense because you're looking for that story but maybe it, it's it's not a good joke yeah exactly right? do you edit how do you edit do you do rounds or are you yeah I, uh, Hemingway said uh, write drunk edit sober is that the kind of the same thing with well, pictures ha- well, I was driving around while I was taking most of the pictures <laughs> so it's good that I was not drinking <laughs> well, I was okay. shooting, but yeah, yeah. no, I, I get that. And, uh, I mean, I the, would have, <laughs> yeah, exactly, right, exactly. Um, but there is that thing. I mean, again, I think you take, you know, for example, like I'll take like a first pass, okay, and then I'll take, you know, I'll let it sit for a while. I'll take a second pass. I mean, some people use social media more to their advantage than I do. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll post stuff sometimes, and sometimes you'll get a really good response. Oh yeah. Um, I know that like. It's like, you know, they're, they're your jokes, right? You, th- yeah. you wouldn't have told them if you didn't think they were funny already. So there's yeah. that problem with editing. So I usually will pull someone in at some point, And I've got a really good friend, a photographer who lives in River Falls, Wisconsin, who's super good. Um, him or a couple of other cura- curator friends that, that I'll talk to. And I'll usually ask them for some fresh eyes. And, like, it's good, you know, it's good to know that they're honest. If they're not honest, they're not... That's not friendly. Yeah, exactly. You, you it's, want, it's, you, 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 you want to mean, yeah. have the capacity for meanness, right? Hey. But again, I mean, sometimes he'll say like, you know, that, you know, it's the same joke. Or he'll yeah. say like, never, you know, Carl's, Carl, his name's Carl Corey. He's a super good photographer. You can look, look him up if you want. But, um, you know, he'll sometimes just say, you know what? Never take a picture of a, a big giant sign all by itself. He, he like has these maxims or like sure. these sayings where it's just like don't do that thing or you know that's a really good picture but it's been done before mm-hmm. so again there's those things where you kind of try to you know you look look to outside counsel to kind of check yeah. yourself I guess that now do you what happens in software too uh, where, like you, certainly yeah I mean it's you've done you've kind of done something that's been done before and like uh, well that happens all the time <laughs> and uh, engineers tend to sometimes be of a breed to think that that's how they should do it so there's a little <laughs> conflict there as well but you do you do it is a collaborative sport right like it, there, there's not it used to be that you had you know people writing software and one dude would go off and write this whole huge thing that's just not reality in modern software if you're building a company anymore it's it's teamwork it's we the the guy that I've worked with and Ben has heard this a million times right it's it's a it's a people problem never a technology problem when it comes to engineering you're organizing large groups of people towards a common goal you need to communicate that goal you need to all hear the same goal picture it in your head the same that of course never happens so you need to come back around how do we get ourselves realigned so it's a real people challenge more than anything sure so so within photography like you know I don't know a damn thing about photography like like the history of it right right but like but everyone's a photographer now, so that's that's the other oh, weird yeah. thing too, right? right? Well, and and I think like if you I've got filters, <laughs> right? Every, yeah, everyone's shooting. Everyone's shooting every day. I mean, that's the thing, right? Yeah. Well, but if you think of like like the great photographers that that I would know of, not being in the photography world, right. but like Ansel Adams or whatever, sure, right? it, like or or even uh, National Geographic photographers. Yeah, no, those great, yeah, great know, photographers, right? But they're all like lone wolves. Like they're they're they go out and they. Like their process is to go out, and they're the guy who would sit through the night to wait for the sun to be just right. Right. You know, research a thing for weeks, sit by themselves, freeze themselves, they have to get the right shot, and they right. and they got the shot. What if they collaborated? 
Yeah, I mean, again, I, I like. What if you collaborate? No, and it, that, like, and it could ah. be, it, that could be super fun. I mean, one of the things that I, one of the things that I like about working the way that I do is it's it's my idea. I have to like, you know, set up a process. I mean, people like those photographs that look like just those street photographs that you see all the time. It's not like Walker Evans or Robert Frank was walking down the street just shooting off the hip. I mean there's an element of that but it's like it's the same thing like if you're a, a, a in the old days a lion hunter or like an antelope hunter you don't like walk around in the savannah at random i mean you look you go to where like they eat or where they live or where they hunt and you you're, you you go to find something with with a preconceived notion in mind about what you might find and so that's like it's so it's fun that it's by yourself and it's all on you but it's also kind of lonely in some ways because it's like all on you yeah. right if they're terrible yeah. it's just all on you <laughs> that they're terrible and there's not that camaraderie or you, you miss that but um, I actually have gone out and had made productive work with another photographer where basically you literally go to the same place and you shoot and it's funny like there's a really great photographer here in town named Javier Tavera yeah. he um you know, he shoots a lot. He's he's from Mexico City, but he's lived here in Minnesota for like 20, 25 years That's or something. Like the wrong way to move. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly, whatever. right? <laughs> move to the cold, right? But, he, but, you know, he and I went out and we're shooting, and it literally like we're shooting the same place, and we're just getting radically different stuff. He was mostly shooting people. I was mostly shooting things, places and things, you know, without people. And I've shot with some other folks, too, and there's some other... You know, if you had a certain affinity or an interest you, in an area, that that would be good. Well, so if the so if the software engineers have a a problem with culling the herd, they can't get rid of their work, right? And and you can't collaborate. Like, do you think you could go out? What if like five photographers got together? No, you could. And went out and did a, a book together. Of, but but same things. So so different telling of the yep. same joke five times over. Right. Through different. A, a different lens, literally. Yeah, there's a, what, what was that? What was the? What, what, what was uh, the, the, the joke? Yeah, yeah, the joke one where it was like uh, uh, twenty different comedians. Yeah. So you tell the joke yeah. and it's all different. I mean, uh, that is really the way that it would be. The Full House was the like the, the worst. Of yeah, yeah, yeah like the, the filthiest. Bob yeah, Saget is always yeah. The crass Bob Saget, right, right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, like if you decided like to go <laughs> to the Grand Canyon or something yeah, like that, yeah. or to go to New York, or to go to you know. You know, whatever kind of location, I think you'd end up doing different stuff. Because I mean, one thing that people either, you know, some people don't like my pictures because there's almost no people in them. You know, they're quiet. <laughs> right, right, right. And um, you know, if you went out there with other types of photographers, you might just literally be in the same spot. Be in the same spot, pointing a different, looking at a different yeah. thing, right? See, seeing life through a different. Exactly. Kind of cool. Yeah, and, and, yeah. No, that's that's a really good idea. I mean, that that, <laughs> that that would be that would be fun. I mean, there's a couple of people that I can think of that would be a more natural, you know, fit, and you wouldn't necessarily. It'd be it'd be more it'd probably be a more interesting endeavor if you were shoot you know were shooting with someone else that had like a real different point of view than you do or a different sure. kind of focus because yeah. you'd be in the same spot doing something kind of radically different. But does yeah. that does that help in software design to have, you know, to bring in someone with a completely different perspective? Sure. Or is that disruptive sure. to the team? Uh, no, I tend to be someone who thinks that, that, you know, different perspectives are very good. You do, I mean, it's, it's again, comes back to its people and you've got to have ways to make decisions and so you have to have certain things in place. But I value a diversity of opinion, a diversity of background,
backgrounds. One of the reasons why I wanted to work with this guy here, uh, Ben, was because he was in high-speed trading in Chicago, and he had a whole different scale background. I had worked with lots and lots of startups and worked very closely with the individuals there and what their vision was and what they were hoping to accomplish. Ben had worked at a lot more scale than I had, and we were getting in smart things to a point where we needed scale. And so, yeah. you know, you do that sort of stuff. You try to bring in people who've got different backgrounds and have different areas of focus. Well, I, and I don't know if you have anything. I, no, go ahead. I think on that note, we've we've gone through it. But, but I know, bringing in people of different backgrounds, that's exactly what this was all about. And, and thinking about things, you know, putting an artist and a software engineer together, like... There's a good reason why we need to think about this diversity, <laughs> even though, you know, it, diversity in all forms, I would say. Uh, so that's what this uh, company I founded event was all about. And Well, yeah, it I was just made me realize that a photographer is using a screen to look at the world and a software engineer is using a screen to avoid the rest of the world. <laughs> like, that's all we do. Like, yeah, I don't want to look at you. Right. <laughs> look at my computer. No, and the, I mean, there's that, and there's that interesting thing too. I mean, a lot of people think that like artists just have this epiphany that comes to them, and it's all about this kind of right brain creativity, and it, it, right, it, it's not. I mean, you have you have to learn yeah. all all of the te- technical. If you're a painter, you have to learn about like you know chemistry of paint and all that kind of stuff. In the old, you know, in the old days before like the 1870s, you had to mix your own paint in in your studio. So there was like. It was like chemistry. It was like organic biology, and you're and you're dealing yeah, with this stuff. Yeah. And it's again, it's like you you guys are thought of as like you know computer people that aren't doing this creative stuff. And it's like there's a lot more of both that is required yeah. in both fields. I totally. think that most people really think just, about. It's not a binary or a polar opposite. It no, no, that's exactly. People should look at both what an artist does and a computer person does and say that looks easy. Right, like yeah. we should make. That's the whole point of computers is to make it. They they want to use them and whatever they were going to do intuitively. That like I don't see why it's so hard to make a computer program. You just do have it do that and that. And you want to look at art and be like, wow, it must be. You know, you can just you know. I want to be able to. Just go walk down the street. Yeah, just take some pictures. It all turns out great. Right. right. Yeah. Well, that's except that happens except sometimes. Except it right? takes a lifetime to get there. That's right. That's right. It takes a little while. <laughs> and and twelve hundred photos to get fifty. Sometimes, at least yeah. me anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry, you were trying to wrap up, Sam. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. We can always edit. They can always cut us off. From- <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't cut anything. All right. Well, we, what do we care? It's right. our podcast. We'll do it if you don't like listening, don't listen. Freedom. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks. Yes, Thank thanks. you both. Thank you. All right. And again, thanks for listening to the second set of panelists. Uh, we are going to jump right into the third and final set. Thanks for listening. Let's roll. All right. Uh, this is the final uh, podcast session for a company I founded's inaugural event on October 13th at uh, at uh, the Copperwing Distillery. All right. That's great. That was Clark. This is me, Jim, Legacy Matters, and I'm here with two guests, and I'll let you guys introduce yourselves. We'll go with you, Chris, first. All right, I'm Chris Palmasano. I'm here with Copperwing Distillery tonight. You're hosting the event. We're hosting the event. Yep, we're so glad to see everybody from uh, your yep. new organization out here. This yeah. is fantastic. Well, thanks for having us. And, and then we're here with Patrick. Patrick Pryor. <laughs> a, uh, I'm an artist and a sculptor, and I also have a gallery in Northeast Minneapolis called the Coleman and Pryor Gallery. We represent eight different artists. 
and uh, all right, yep. and and here That's we it. are, and then we're here with Clark. Yeah, I'm Clark Torgerson, uh, co-host, en- engineer. Yep, uh, part-time co-host now apparently, and uh, <laughs> um, yeah, really excited to be here. Yeah, well, great. So here we are, um, and we are doing this sort of pop-up podcast here with a company I founded. Uh, all right, guys. So why don't we just jump into it, and why don't you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves and what you do? Who wants to go first? You want to flip uh, a coin? I guess I can jump in. All sure. Right. Um, so this is Chris. Uh, let's see. Where to begin? How far back do we start here, Jim? Well, okay. So here we are. We're in St. Louis Park. This yep. is your distillery. It is. What yes. are you What are you doing here? So, uh, so I helped found this endeavor uh, about five years ago. Uh, I've got two co-founders and myself. Really, it was uh, started as a sort of nights and weekends project uh, among basically three friends who wanted to learn how to make whiskey. Yeah. And uh, so, in the years that followed, uh, you know, lots of licensing and you know bureaucratic hurdles to to overcome and how many years has followed uh it let's see it took about a year to actually get licensed and get things going um and kind of figure out what we were doing another year or so to uh really study distilling and understand the process that we wanted to use to make our products um maybe another half a year or so of build out and construction and uh, building the bar that we're sitting in today. Right. Um, and yeah, since then we've just been trying to increase our product line um, and really hone the spirits that, uh, that we're making now. Right. So, so what are all the spirits that you distill here then? So right now we're making, uh, we've got vodka, we've got a, a classic gin that we make. Uh, we, um, just recently released a straight bourbon whiskey so that's a, a two-year bourbon um we just released a strawberry gin so we take our gin and mix it with fresh strawberries and that's just phenomenal all by itself uh we also make something called vodsky that's unique to Copperwing, which is a uh let's see it's our it's a whiskey recipe but we distill it more like a vodka so it's like vodka but with a little bit more character a little bit more Okay. Uh, flavor and just a, a lot more interest than just that pure alcohol that you get with a vodka. Right. So, okay. Um, so yeah, so we we take all those spirits and we're sitting here in the bar and the bar is really designed to be like the spirit showroom. So the whole point of the bar is to showcase the spirits and you know show how they can be used, you know, most effectively in cocktails. So right. That's what which we're doing is, here. It's a very cool space. Yeah. I'm drinking your bourbon here, which I can attest to. The as bourbon. Being, <laughs> it's fantastic. An amazing you, drink that I'm drinking here it's, called it's the Game Day It's actually kind of hard to believe it's a no, two-year bourbon. No, the Good it's Game bourbon. So good Game. Yeah. Yes. All right. So, Patrick, why don't you tell us a little something about yourself? Well, I'm a visual artist. Yeah. Primarily, right? I also have a gallery. and But as a visual artist, I'm appreciating the, a few structures here that... that your podcast listeners cannot see, but I'm looking at these stainless steel tanks with these, like this stacked tower that looks like an amazing it's sculpture very steampunk-y. here. Like, it's very steampunk, but it's all very, it's all stainless. It's super, super shiny. You got people in here polishing it, like on a regular basis, perhaps. <laughs> perhaps. Um, <laughs> um, okay. Can you? I I'd like to like yeah. I'd like to find out what are these three things that I'm looking at. These three like amazing looking tanks. Sure. Right? Like this one right so, there, that one over there. The really one's really really tall. One's going like yep. It's a two story tank. 
Like it's a gorgeous sculpture. It's, it's at least like, twenty feet up off the yeah. Off the tank, like right? I, I'm mostly a painter, but I've done a little bit of work in stainless steel. And well, you know, you've now done that some I, public public yeah, artwork. I've done I mean, one. You've done one stainless public. steel sculpture in Northeast right. at the North House. So you're a welder. So, I mean, you, so you know how I, this all goes together. I, there was yeah. this this design that I designed was so complicated that I became a welder because there was so much welding to do. I mean, yep. there's thousands and thousands and thousands of welds. So when I see something like that, like I have a, a whole new appreciation for it. Cool. So, what am I looking at? So here, you're, you're looking at uh, basically the, the three vessels that are responsible for making all the spirits that we have. So on the right, uh, the shortest one here is the mash tun, which okay. you can think of as basically a slow cooker. It's just a thousand liter slow cooker yeah, crock pot. Like a giant, uh, um, giant pressure cooker. Yep. And so that's what we use in the first step where we're just cooking grain and um, basically making... Um, Really, the first step is to make beer. So all we're doing here is heating up grain, um, cooking it for several hours, making some of the sugars in the grain more available for fermentation. Mm -hmm. um, then that gets removed from that uh, that particular container. It sits with yeast for um, uh, several days so that yeast convert the sugar to alcohol. Um, and then at that point, we move uh, the mash at that point into the, uh, the vessel all the way on the left, the shorter of the two stills. Um, the, the other two vessels are both stills. The one on the far left we just use for really a crude distillation. That's why it only has those um, those four windows on it. It's, uh, they're both column stills, but the one way on the left is, is really just one single pass for just a little, you know, really removing some of the excess water, removing the grain, um, and, and just getting a crude distillation. We do that several times. Um, to, to make enough of what's called a low wine, so a low alcohol product. That's uh, the one on the product. right the left there. That's the shorter one. Yep, yeah, okay. yep. And then we move everything from there into the uh, the spirit still or the finishing still there in the middle. That's the one that's 18 feet tall. Because it, um, it, nice. it looks like there's a, like... 18 like pots stacked up on each other to make this tower, right? Yeah, basically. And every pot like has a, a window. Teapots yep. Yep. with kind of little windows on yeah, them. Yeah, each one has a little window. Is yep. it actually a window? It is a window. Yep. You actually yeah, like so you need can, to look in there. You don't see need what's to. going on. <laughs> it's just kind of cool too. It's just it's, just <laughs> it's a little you know visual feedback in terms of what's happening inside the still when it's turned on. Okay, um, so amazing. I have a question for you two guys. Sure. You know, actually, you too, Clark. <laughs> so. You know, here's a question. As as we're sitting here and doing an event like this, I mean, did you guys did you guys envision this is where you would be at this age? I think that's mm. a great question. No, not at all. Yeah, I mean, from year to year, I don't envision where I where I am. Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, you're yeah. a gallery owner. You're doing large sculptures in in you know. Uh, Venues. I mean, in apartments. I mean, like, no, seriously. I mean, I just, I just have the kind of life that every year I live. I, I'm right. I can't believe that I'm doing the things that I do. Right. So you didn't, you didn't set out to do it. No, I didn't set out to do that. And I yeah. think that's because I approach, I kind of approach life, and I, I was never one of those people that knew exactly what I wanted to do, knew exactly who I wanted to marry, you know, knew exactly where I wanted to live. I mean, even in living in Minneapolis, like I, I grew up in Michigan. Just that I'm even here still kind of surprises right. me. So no, it's been it's been a very intuitive journey the entire time. Like that's exactly the way that I paint. Yeah, is that I you know I'll make a mark on the canvas and I'll respond to it, 
and the painting ends up in a place where I never would have imagined. You, you see opportunities as they come up, like as something falls in your lap. Yeah, like I think like that's the way that my life has been too, where yeah. I didn't really, I had a plan and I ended up, compl- I mean, I'm a farm kid from North Dakota growing up turning dirt and yeah. ended up, you know what I mean, being able to do some fun stuff with technology and, and different things that I was never the plan. It just, as stuff falls in your lap, you realize, oh, I didn't realize this is an opportunity. I might as well try and make the most of it. Right. Yep. Yeah, and that's very much what happened here with uh, with Copperwing. One of my co-owners is here. Who, so that my this particular one of my co-owners was my next door neighbor, and really he and I are the ones responsible for the the idea here. We were just we we're having dinner with our um, our families. We both have a couple of young kids at the time, and um, having dinner and together and um, drinking whiskey. And Brian and I were both thinking, you know, you know, how did, how is this actually made? What how do we make this? What is whiskey? And it was really that question that became the distillery that we're sitting so in today. So at that time, you didn't, you weren't... There were no plans. You had no, no experience uh-uh. making... None. Nope. Spirits of any kind. None. <laughs> and, and That's how, how I became an artist. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I, I literally, I, I, I watched Ed Harris's performance as Jackson Pollock in the movie Pollock. I've really? Never told any, I've never told anybody this story. Yeah. Because it's embarrassing. Well, right? Like, it's a great oh, movie, though. Like, that's yeah. how you, that's really, like, it's awkward. But that's how it happened. I literally went to Home Depot the next day after seeing that movie, and I'm like, because I was rather uneducated. I have an engineering background, and at the time, I was an outdoor science teacher that I was watching this movie. And I literally went to Home Depot, and I got a bunch of paint, and I started slinging paint in the backyard, kind of Jackson Pollock style, you, right. know? you know? And that went on for a little while, and I eventually, like, you know, got my own style. But but it happened like that, just very wow. spontaneous. You know, it's and that and that's what I think an event like this. I, it's so interesting um, because you know here I'm sitting here with all you guys, and it's like it, you know it, it's the impossible, right? It's impossible to bust into art. It's it's so it hard to sell a painting, far less, and then but open I a didn't, gallery. But I didn't know it was that hard because, no, because I was such an yeah. outsider. Right. I didn't realize that it was really hard. Yeah. Or, or like I didn't, you know, like I didn't have that story like, oh, it's, you know, I, I didn't go to art school yeah. and realize M- just... Maybe not realizing how hard it was was the best thing that happened to you. I think so. Right? I think so. Because I got to just kind of be naive about it. And that naivete, I think, was helpful. Right. Same exact thing in the liquor business. If we had known what we would be facing, <laughs> yeah, we would have steered the other way years ago. <laughs> I get it. But isn't it so? So, what's the most rewarding part so far for all everyone here? For tonight, you mean, yeah. or just well, in general? no, just in of, general of the paths and the career, yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the choices we've made, right? Do you have a moment, Patrick, that, that you said, wow, I've done it? Or maybe that hasn't happened yet. I don't know. I hope I never have that moment where I say, wow, I've done it. Because what the hell am I going to do the next day? Right? I don't know what I would do. You know? Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think there's that point. Because I think every day waking up and doing your thing, you know, making your whiskey making a painting it's the it's the next painting always looking forward to that that, that keeps keeps it going right 
Chris? Have you done it yet? Uh, we are sitting in your distillery. Yeah, yeah. You're having a great time. As you're saying that, I'm thinking like Patrick, like what I'm going to say, I think Patrick's probably experiencing at the gallery. Like okay. I feel like we've done it basically every night that we're open and people come through the door. Right, yeah. Like as all of you know, it wasn't easy to get here. Like you had to take some back roads and kind of find this place just oh, to, to, just get, to here get here, physically. right? Yeah. And so every day that we're open and people come through the door, I'm just amazed that people make the effort to get out here and come and see it, come see and experience the experience that we want to give them, um, which I would imagine is the same as what's happening at the gallery, right? Where you're just, absolutely, you know, you want to provide a space for, you know, it's not just for you, but it's for the community. It's for whoever is joining you at the space to, you know, partake in whatever art is being displayed at the time, just like here, you know, whatever's on the menu, however we're choosing to showcase the spirits at the time. Um, so yeah, I, th- I feel like we're we're constantly doing it. We're just trying to figure out how to how to keep doing it and how to keep doing it better and how to how to keep you know maintaining people's interest in what we're doing. Right. I think you got the lighting right in here. Again, if your <laughs> podcast listeners could see the lighting in here, like it is dialed in. Like it is really really well done. It is definitely dialed in. Yeah. I'm gonna tell our designer she's gonna yeah. love that. Yeah. So yeah. both you guys are creating something and then handing it back out into the community and trying to get the community to absorb it. Yes. You know? So how do you keep that creativity going? What inspires you, both of you? Well, I don't like that word. Yeah. I think that I think that Wh- which one? Yeah, inspires. you said a lot of words. I think, okay. I, I think inspires because for me it's about every day getting up, getting to the studio like by 8 o'clock, 8.30 in the morning and making something, you know, doing the work. Right, right. So, like, inspiration. So you're on. You're, you're on a clock, sort of. Like, you're like, okay, this is. I'm. A, I have a very regular work day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get to the studio and I and I kind of fuck around for a couple of hours because I can't quite get to doing the creative work right away. Like, I have to do stuff like, I don't know, bookkeeping or like sort of mundane tasks and cleaning. But it, it sounds like the discipline of being consistent produces that's, better results than the inspiration. So important. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Inspiration may come in bursts along the way. Like, but doing the practice is the most doing important it, piece. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Putting the hours in, right? Yeah. Like somebody once said, like 10,000 hours is what it takes to really master something. Right. And I don't know. Still on your way there. I'm still on my way there. I'm yeah. quite sure. But, you and me both. <laughs> but I think that I think that's that repetition, you know, doing it, doing something over and over and over again. Like that's, that's the commitment to that is what keeps me going. Right. Right. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I, I, I know, exactly. I mean, so is, is inspiration a bigger deal for you? Oh, I don't even know right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, because I was I was concentrating on Chris, actually. So, so now I'm throwing <laughs> off, Clark. I'm, I'm just trying to mess you up. So Yeah, you are. So is, like, what is inspiration? Because you asked the question explicitly about inspiration. So let's turn it back. Yeah, and and for me, I'm inspired by everything. So you know, ins- I, you know, every day is sort of inspirational for me. And and you know, I don't, I run into inspiration. I run into it, you know, sometimes when I'm walking down the street at Home Depot or sure. walking down no, the street. I, and I then totally get that. Depot. I mean, inspiration yeah. comes from all angles. I mean, it comes from like you know a pattern you see in the wear of a piece of wood or something on the ground. And yeah, exactly. From the story that we just heard from our friend here who told us about an amazing mushroom trip, Charlie. My God, that was inspiring. 
inspiring. That was inspiring. Kind of made me want to. Sorry, I missed that. But yeah, I know. I know. I, I mean, I mean it would, we can repeat that. Like that was the most amazing the experience thing I've heard. or the story. The story. Okay. Well, yeah, he told us about it. Okay. <laughs> All right, so so where do you get your inspiration? Oh from? man, my inspiration. Let's see, um, my inspiration. Honestly, we're we're still kind of fighting to survive here yep. with the distillery, and so my inspiration comes from uh, still trying to drive this to success. Mm-hmm. Um, and success, you know, it means a lot of different things. It means, of course, keeping the lights on. Um, the very, very dialed-in lighting. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so exactly. <laughs> but when it, when it comes to like the bourbon or something like that, and like the, how you want it to taste. Yep. That yeah. I mean that's you, that's that's. How do you know the, when you've got it just right? The, that's the long-term inspiration, I guess, and and trying to stay focused on the longer-term goal of what we're trying to do here, um, and and trying to remain true to that original vision of being a whiskey distillery and um, being able to you know create enough of a. Um, uh, not to uh, let's see <laughs> like we need enough of a palette like you know of, of different types of whiskey and different types of knowledge of like what different um, raw ingredients translate into different types of whiskey like we need a, we need we still need so much knowledge to be able to create the whiskey that we see, that, want I mean like it's very clear talking to both of you that like both of what you're doing is an art and it's about what goes into the process and maybe your mindset in the process and how things happen and like the proof is absolutely in what comes out at the end. Whether you know it's mixed media or a painting or a sculpture or whether it's a spirit that you're distilling, it's about contemplating, you know, kind of what are you trying to achieve and the happy accidents that happen along the way that end up making a really particularly meaningful moment right. when you're when you're absorbing, you know what I mean, the end product. Yes. It doesn't seem that different to me, I guess, as you're well talking. Well said, Clark. Well, thank you. It's, this <laughs> yes. is my first podcast experience, so I'm glad it's going out on a positive <laughs> note. It is. It's good. <laughs> All right. Well, I got the cue, so we're going to wrap this up. Clark, is there anything that we want to leave everyone with? No, I, I'm just Company super... Company founded. Yeah, I'm super happy that the night seemed to go off well, and people made some meaningful connections, and yep. we got to talk to some great people, and I, I'd be happy to do this again, honestly. Yeah, great. Why don't and, you guys give a shout-out to where people can find information about each one of you websites okay well thanks for having us I appreciate you guys having us here at Copper Wing this is Patrick Pryor you can find me at patrickpryor.com and my gallery at colemanpryorgallery.com and uh, thanks for hosting the event here at Copper Wing we really enjoyed having everybody Uh, you can find more information about Copper Wing at copperwingdistillery.com of course we're on Facebook Instagram all that good stuff too so find us there and Clark, thank, thank you. Thank you, Jim and Clark. Thanks, everyone. All right. This has been Cheers. Okay. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to this inaugural episode of Company I Founded Panels. We really appreciate you listening, and I want to thank a few people for coming in. Uh, Dan Israel played music for us tonight. He's been a guest on the Legacy Matters podcast. You should check out his episode. Um, Copper Wing Distillery. Thank you for hosting the event and providing fantastic drinks for everyone. You can check out their wares, I guess, or their products at copperwingdistillery.com. The Bootstrappers Fund and Master Switch provided some funding for this event, and we want to thank them for that. Again, that's Bootstrappers Fund and Master Switch here in Minneapolis. So thank you for listening. Take care.